CF in Fresno. Stay tuned for a special on Jessica Midford. When was the last time you helped out in the phone room during a fun drive? A year ago? Did I hear someone say never? Well, that's okay. We'll be answering phones and taking pledges until February 15th. Please do come in and join us. Call 510-848-6767, extension 618. That's 510-848-6767, extension 618. Or email eden at kpfa.org to let us know when you can come in. Or just drop by during your favorite show. My name is Sasha Lilly, KPFA's Interim Program Director. Today, in place of Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone, we bring you a special program about the life and times of Jessica Mitford, better known in the San Francisco Bay Area as Decca Truhaft. Decca lived, by all accounts, a larger-than-life existence. The daughter of British peer Lord Reedsdale, Mitford was born into an eccentric and politically polarized family. Her older sister was the novelist Nancy Mitford, while her two closest sisters became ardent fascists. Decca was the red sheep of the family who blazed a trail through pre-war Europe and New Deal America, joining the Communist Party and working as an anti-racist organizer before, in middle age, launching a career as a muckraking journalist. Among many works, she is most famous for The American Way of Death, about the funeral industry. Mitford died in 1996 at the age of 78, but her legacy has been captured by a recently published collection titled Decca, The Letters of Jessica Mitford. Today we present excerpts of an interview that I did with the editor of Decca, Peter Sussman, who starts by talking about Jessica Mitford's background. She was the uh, daughter of a very eccentric lord and lady named <coughs> Lord and Lady Reedsdale. Her father was known to the, do- the daughters as one of nature's fascists. And uh, her t- two of her sisters, in fact, became fascists. One notoriously, uh, well, both notoriously, one unity shot her with a, with a, a um, chum of Hitler, stayed on in Munich in an apartment uh, that Hitler got for her by clearing out the Jewish residence. And then on the day that England declared war, war on Germany, shot herself in the head lingered on for years brain damaged hitler got her the finest chair stored her furniture and then shipped her back via switzerland to her family and to revilement in in england uh second sister another sister diana left her husband brian guinness of the guinness beer fortune and married well first took up with and then married later uh sir oswald mosley head of the british union of fascists that daughter spent I think it was three years in prison during World War II while their second cousin, Winston Churchill, was prime minister. <laughs> uh, Decca was the family leftist. She eloped to the Spanish Civil War with a nephew of Winston Churchill, so-called, his so-called red nephew, Esmond Romilly. And the two of them later married, uh, after a few years moved to the United States, Esmond trained in the Royal Canadian Air Force and ultimately was lost on a mission, a bombing run against Germany. Well, let's get back to the family. Um, Nancy Mitford, as you mentioned, was a very well-known satirical novelist and biographer, later lived in Washington, in uh, Paris, 
another sister was became the Duchess of Devonshire and just recently became the Dowager Duchess because her husband died. Uh, that's, and she's the chatelaine of the exquisite estate, uh, Ch- Chatsworth, now open to the public in um, uh, Derbyshire. And then another sister, Pamela, was married to horsemen and, and physicist and socialite Derek Jackson, later divorced from him. There was also a brother, Tom Mitford, who died in the Second World War. And at the beginning of the war, the parents were notorious fascists. I mean, Mrs. Lady Reedsdale uh, was quoted, in fact, I have a letter, uh, wrote a letter to, um, to Neville Chamberlain saying that Hitler was, above all, a person of heart. And um, I think she believed that if they all just sat down and had tea together, everything could be straightened out. Well, Jessica Mitford wrote about her childhood, her family, in uh, a memoir that was titled Hans and Rebels in the UK. In the US, it was published under the title Daughters and Rebels. And uh, at the time of the publication of that book, she was interviewed by Sidney Roger on KPFA. And to get a sense of Jessica Mitford, and uh, speaking about those years, we are going to go now to an excerpt from that interview, which was broadcast on June 30th, 1960. Well, we did have an extraordinary upbringing. When I look back on it and have discussed it with cousins and contemporaries, people who came from more or less the same kinds of people we did, I do think that our upbringing was really beat everything for um, uh, bizarreness and, and so forth. For example, none, none of us girls were allowed to go to school. Um, my brother, of course, went. My mother taught us herself at home. She taught reading, which became in very handy in later life, and it was really almost all we ever learned. She also taught a little history. <coughs> she taught us that um, the Americans had been expelled from the British Empire for causing trouble and other facts <laughs> that uh, stood us instead. You know. <laughs> But reading was really the only thing we were taught. We had a magnificent library at home, a really wonderful library compiled by grandfather. Um, but my father um, had only read one book in his life, uh, White Fang by Jack London. Oh, really? He always said it was such a damn good book, he didn't see the point of reading any other. <laughs> but, uh, of course, we, we used to read, you know, whatever there was in the library, which was an enormous amount. How did you become involved in, let's say, uh, such a strong anti-fascism? May I also ask, by the same token, how come two of your sisters became so involved in fascism? What kind of forces were at work? Well, uh, maybe in a sense interacting, I can say this much, that in in my case, the isolation of living in the English countryside, uh, I found just terribly galling. I longed to go to school. I would have given anything to be able to go and was never permitted to. And um, I, I ha- always had a feeling that within this life you, you were restricted to a tiny circle of people. Maybe they numbered in the hundreds or even the thousands, but they were all exactly the same. There was no variety whatsoever. You were missing the whole population of the world except for this tiny little circle of the British upper class. So uh, this was one thing which I think um, uh, I was conscious of from say about 15 or so on. Then uh, when my sisters became fascist, which they did, um, I, by this time, had become very much involved in uh, pacifism and this kind of thing. And um, uh, everything I knew about the fascists uh, revolted me and I 
uh, turned tail the other way and decided to be an anti-fascist, which I immediately became. You know, when you're that age, you can become anything overnight and become an expert on it in your own mind in, in a matter of weeks. Let's talk just a little bit about that long-forgotten place known as uh, Civil War Spain. Well, this, of course, was before the... Uh, bef uh, the Civil War part of my book is before we came to America. Yes. Uh, we... My first husband, Esmond Romley, who I've tried to describe and show in the book, and who was subsequently killed in the, in the Second World War, um, was a volunteer in the International Brigades, along with thousands and thousands from all countries. And uh, it was to Spain that he and I ran away. At the, uh, and, and we lived there, we lived in Bilbao for about a month, a part of Spain that was not particularly touched by the war at that time, except by tremendous privations and enormous air raids, but the fighting wasn't going on while we were there. And you were 19 and he was 18 at That's the time. That's right, yes. And um, we... Um, we went there with the intention of joining up with the, uh, he rejoining and I joining the International Brigades. However, um, fate had it otherwise because the British Consul sort of got us out of there by a trick, in a way. Uh, we, the things that, living in a town like that that was threatened with attack, as Bill Bio was, uh, waiting really in the shadow of the attack that was to come, was an extraordinary experience, something that, it was more like, living in a story to me because it was so utterly unlike anything I'd ever experienced and the people were so unlike anybody I'd ever met. And that's the voice of Decker Truehaft, nay, Jessica Mitford, speaking in a KPFA interview in 1960 after the publication of her memoir, Hans and Rebels. Peter Sussman, in uh, that little piece, she alludes to the British consul uh, getting her and her husband out of Spain. Can you tell us a little more about what happened there? Well, Lord Reedsdale was very well connected and had um, taught, you know, he was in the House of Lords, of course, and, and talked to the British government, and the British government ordered a, a uh, battleship to bring them back. I think the battleship was was in in Spain anyhow to bring British refugees back, but there was a special telegram sent saying that they should make sure that uh, Jessica Mitford was was uh, aboard. This was, uh, I should point out, this was extraordinarily high profile in England. I've seen the headlines on page one of papers in England at the time saying, Piers' daughter elopes to Spain. It was uh, extraordinarily um, um, high temperature um, elopement. And so they were... I'm, I'm not sure the exact details of how he tricked them aboard, uh, but ultimately they jumped ship in southern France and stayed there for a while and ultimately and married there and reported on the war from southern France. He, he had worked for several newspapers, uh, Esmond, and Decca was his helper. And that's the voice of Peter Sussman. He's the editor of DECA, The Letters of Jessica Mitford, which was published last October by Knopf. My name is Sasha Lilly. So, Peter, you were giving us a bit of a fast skate through DECA's early life. And once you mentioned that Romilly was killed, his plane was shot down during World War II, and she ended up staying in the United States where she was pulled into the circles of the 
various New Deal movers and shakers and met her second husband, uh, left lawyer Bob Truhaft. And at that point, she moved to San Francisco and joined the Communist Party. And many years later, she wrote a second memoir, A Fine Old Conflict, where she describes those days. And I wonder if you could tell us about her involvement in the Communist Party. She had I think ideologically identified as a communist since she was a teenager, but didn't join the party until, uh, I guess that would be the uh, mid-1940s. Most of those years. Not, uh, in the very beginning, she did some other things. She worked with the um, with um, anti-fascist refugee groups and so forth, and she was financial director of the San Francisco Communist Party. But most of the, her years in the party were spent as executive secretary of the uh, Civil Rights Congress of the East Bay. They did phenomenal work. DECA fronted for uh, blacks who were um, unable to buy homes because of racial restrictions on real estate. They defended people who were, um, they went to the South and defended people who were uh, essentially going to be legally lynched. Um, they um, helped, in, in, in one instance, a, a white mob had formed on the yard of a, of a family that moved into a project in, a housing project in um, a new, new development in Richmond. And Decca very, very bravely walked with a black man, Buddy Green, through this crowd of uh, rock-throwing, uh, cross-burning, angry white men uh, in Richmond into the home of this black family that had moved in summoned the Longshoremen's Union and stayed there with them until the Longshoremen arrived and were able to protect this family. She also uh, had they also defended many, many um, blacks who were wrongfully accused of crimes, sometimes knowingly, by the DA of Alameda County, uh, J. Frank Coakley, who many of your listeners will recall, a right-wing uh, DA who was allied with the Nolan forces in Oakland, Oakland Tribune at the time. And um, she, so they defended many of the um, poor blacks who were sometimes robbed of their paychecks on Friday night by the police, uh, sometimes wrongly accused of crimes whenever a crime needed to be solved. They went out and found a young black to pin it on. The DA often based his defense his prosecution on the fact that the lawyers for the other side were communists. In one case, Decca and Bob defended um, Huey Newsom. I'm sorry, not Huey. Um, uh, Jerry Newsom. Jerry Newsom. For 15 years, through many appeals, finally he w he went to prison. He was convicted. Uh, they stuck with him and ultimately got the case overturned. Uh, got the charges thrown out because it was shown, proved that. Uh, there was a witness who said that he was in the store when the shooting occurred and Jerry Newsom was not the one who did it. Uh, that witness had been, had offered his testimony earlier and the DA had suppressed it. So it was that kind of thing that they were fighting in, on many different fronts. The Civil Rights Congress was a very active organization. Uh, demonstrations often drew hundreds of people. There were, um, it was largely black, largely black board of directors, and Decca was the executive secretary. She pretty much handled the publicity and the, and the public 
part of it, and her husband handled the legal, and his law firm handled a lot of the uh, legal end of it, as the lawyers were the um, people that they were defending. DECA, among other, among other things, fronted for a couple who brought bought a house surreptitiously um, in violation of racial restrictions in the um, contract um, across the street from J. Frank Coakley, the DA, who moved out the following week. Was, this is a long lake merit, and who always resented the uh, true house for that. So they were very, very active. I, I think really pioneered in, in street-level um, action uh, in defense of the uh, victims of racist authorities and racist action. Years later, Becca was at a party at, at Becca and Bob were at a party at Huey Newton's penthouse in Oakland, and he told them that he revered, that he grew up in the streets, on the streets of Oakland, revering the crew for the work that they had done with Jerry Newsom. And I think this speaks to some of the continuity the, uh, over the decades in the um, politicization of the black community of Oakland. In her letters and in her memoir, A Final Conflict, Jessica Mitford wrote about the persecution of Communist Party members and other leftists in the late 1940s and 50s. I wonder if you could describe for us her treatment by the U.S. government. Her, her, I've seen her FBI file, and it's thick. <laughs> um, she was watched constantly. I have one surveillance photo in my uh, FBI surveillance photo in my book. Um, there are dozens every time she went to and left a meeting. She, her phone was always tapped. And in fact, there's a very, was a very funny incident years later when Decca was at a party and a man came up to her and said, you know, your voice is so familiar to me. Um, but I, I don't reckon, who are you? And she said, I'm Jessica Mitford. And he said, oh my goodness, I was the one who listened in on your phone line. So you have to be, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, he, he knew everything about the family. So, and they, in 1963, Jessica Mitford published The American Way of Death, an expose of the funeral industry. Peter, tell us about this book and its subsequent impact on the U.S. public. Well, it, it, it ridiculed, uh, exposed, brought into the open um, the mercenary and predatory practices of the funeral industry. DECA did it, among other things, with tremendous humor and by going into great detail on what things like embalming were actually about. And uh, as, a re as a result, uh, this book was so popular that I found letters that, that indicated that, or memos that indicated that Simon Schuster was buying paper several times a day, ordering more paper several times a day to keep up with the explosive demand for the book. It was on the bestseller list, I'd say, for I think it was nine months in the New York Times, and it was a, a huge success. The funeral industry did uh, react by accusing Decca of being a communist, uh, which she hadn't been at that time for approximately five years. But she refused to say that she was no longer in the party. She refused to give them the satisfaction of, or anyone the satisfaction of saying that she, or even the FBI, the satisfaction of saying that she was no longer a member of the Communist Party. And that was the voice of Peter Y. Sussman, the editor of the collection DECA, The Letters of Jessica Mitford. My name is Sasha Lilly, KPFA's Interim Program Director.
This past October, KPFA organized an incredible event at King Middle School in Berkeley titled Celebrating DECA. By all accounts, it was uh, an amazing uh, moment. Um, DECA's friends and family read from her letters, uh, and present at the event were her children, Ben Truhaft and Constantia Romley, as well as DECA's grandchildren, Chaka Foreman and James Foreman Jr., that is... Um, Constantia's uh, sons with SNCC founder James Foreman, as well as longtime friends Bettina Apfecker, Susan Griffin, activists such as Van Jones, uh, Gray Brecken, Scoop Nisker. And as a thank you gift for supporting this listener-sponsored radio station, we'd like to offer you the DVD of this uh, beautiful historic event. And you can do so by pledging $100 to KPFA by calling 848-5732 or 1-800-439-5732. You can also get the two-CD set of the event of the letters of Jessica Mitford read by her friends and family for a $75 pledge. But whatever you can give, please consider doing it now. The real gift is KPFA, the uh, flow of information, the opportunity to get programming like this um, or like uh, the program that normally comes to you at this time, uh, Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone, programming that celebrates the arts, that celebrates lives, uh, unusual lives like that of Jessica Mitford, muckraker, um, memoirist, uh, activist, uh, a person whose life spanned continents, time periods. She fought against fascism. She, even though her uh, family, members of her family were close allies with uh, both uh, Hitler and um, the British Union of Fascists in Britain, um, she uh, was involved with the New Deal when she came to the United States, joined the Communist Party, became an anti-racist organizer here in the Bay Area. Uh, the history of that period of the work that she and her husband and uh, people did in at, uh, for civil rights in Oakland, fighting police brutality and frame-ups is still, I think, history that needs to be told. If this interests you, if you'd like to know more about it, please consider calling now and getting... Uh, uh, basically a slice of the magic that um, is Jessica Mitford by calling 848-5732 in the 510 area code or 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. For $100, just $8.33 a month, you can get the DVD of this incredible uh, event about Jessica Mitford. Um, if she was someone who you knew. Consider um, pledging and uh, and getting this event. Or if it's some, she was someone you wish you had had a chance to know, uh, or you would like your children to know about. Or if this is history that you think needs to be passed on, please consider right now calling and supporting KPFA and finding out uh, more about Jessica Mitford. Um, and uh, having uh, a copy of this incredible event at King Middle School this past October, 510-848-5732, That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. So many very um, important people spoke at this uh, event testifying their admiration for Jessica Mitford, um, uh, Gray Brecken, who you may know from uh, his book, Imperial San Francisco, Scoop Nisker, uh, muckraking journalist of his own uh, stripe, Van Jones, the environmental justice activist, uh, actress Joan Mankin, uh, a whole range of people had a chance to voice their um, 
admiration, their celebration of her, a chance to read from this incredible book of letters, which I've read. It's an enormous book. It's I think it's about 700 pages. And her wit just comes through in a way that's, well, hard to capture, except that uh, during the past uh, few minutes, you may have heard the excerpt that we played from KPFA's archives of Jessica Mitford speaking in the 1960s about her uh, life and times, which I think gives us a, a little bit of a taste of those letters, of her spirit. Uh, if that's something that interests you, uh, if you'd like to know more about this amazing woman, please consider calling and uh, getting the DVD of this event where her letters were read, celebrating DECA. 510-848-5732, 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. For a $100 pledge, you get the DVD celebrating DECA. If you'd just like to get the audio of the event, you can get the two-CD set, CD set celebrating DECA for a $75 pledge. Um, in a, a recent... Um, Review by the New York Times of the letters of Jessica Mitford, which were read at the event. Uh, uh, the Times wrote, the letters are a treasure. treasure. Decca lived and battled by a pen that was as graceful and witty as it was sharp. Teeth were her means of propulsion, her wings, and the mark they left were singularly fine and even to be prized. She was consummately a happy warrior. In her letters, as in her books, she gets at her targets, the funeral directors, fat farmers, prison establishment, writing programs, with their own words. There's no insult like a mirror's. If uh, you are interested in her spirit, or you would like to just support the radio station that allowed her to have a voice during the times of the blacklist, during the, the scoundrel times of the McCarthy era when she was uh, ruthlessly pursued, as so many people were on the left. Uh, her phones were tapped. Um, she was, uh, her movements were documented. But there was a place for her perspectives then, and there's still a place for uh, iconoclastic perspectives now, and that's KPFA. If you value the these airwaves, the chance for radical perspectives or iconoclastic perspectives to have a place, if that means something to you, please call and support us. Consider becoming a sustainer. If you pledge uh, $10 a month or more, um, by uh, you can become a sustainer. Uh, talk to our phone volunteers about electronic fund transfer, which is a way of setting up an arrangement with your bank account where you pay in monthly installments or with a credit card, however you want to do it. But please think of being a sustainer and help support us, keep us alive. 510-848-5732-1800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Please do what you can to keep us alive because we have been here since 1949 only by the grace of people like you who moved from passivity to action, who became an activist in keeping listener-sponsored radio alive. We have been here through uh, thick and thin, through uh, dark times and times of hope, but we can only be here by having your support, by having you in particular stepping up and doing your part by calling 510-848-5732, 1-800-439-5732, and pledging whatever you can. If that's $25, that's just great. If it's $200, that's wonderful too. Whatever you can afford though, we need you to do your part because listener sponsored radio only can function with you. We are able to bring radical voices, bring, um, iconoclastic voices. Bring the voices of the arts. Where else do you get the arts? Uh, there was a study recently of National Public Radio and, ha and how um, arts is missing in action in uh, 
uh, NPR and PBS. If that's something that concerns you, well, you do find the arts here. If that's something that you value, please consider supporting us right now, letting us know that you are out there, that you value this sort of programming, and that you want to keep it and KPFA alive. 848-5732-1800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. For a $100 pledge, we'd like to thank you by giving you the DVD Celebrating DECA. It breaks down to $8.33 a month. That's about the cost. Actually, that's less than the cost of going to the movies once a month. If you think that KPFA matters, if you value KPFA and the sort of programming we try to bring you 24 hours a day, seven days a week on KPFA, please consider stepping up and pledging your support. If you can become a KPFA sustainer, if you can pledge $10 a month, $20 a month, please do that. Uh, if you can afford less than that, well, we understand, but we need you to do your part so that we can do our part. We're only here because of you, and we need you to to step up right now and let us know that you're out there, that you value the sort of perspectives that you get uh, every day on KPFA, but on cover to cover, 3 to 3.30 uh, weekdays on KPFA, 510-848-5732-1800-HEY-KPFA. That's 510-848-5732-1800. Or 1-800-439-5732. We'd love to be able to thank you by giving you Celebrating DECA, either the DVD for a $100 pledge or the two CD set, CD set for a $75 pledge. That would be wonderful to do, but really the most important thing is that you step up and let us know that you value listener-sponsored radio, that it matters to you, that if uh, KPFA went away tomorrow, that would be a great loss to you. If you believe that's true, we need you to do our part, your part, so we can do our part. We're running out of time. 510-848-5732-1800-439-5732. Uh, 848-5732-1800-439-5732. Thanks uh, to the person who is on the line. We now go to Free Speech Radio News. This is Free Speech Radio 